I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and rehabilitation consultant Val Walker. Her new book is 400 Friends, No One to Call. While social media enables us to make connections with more people than ever before, social isolation is a growing epidemic in the United States. National Science Foundation has reported the number of Americans with no close friends has tripled since 1985, and an unprecedented number of Americans are living alone, particularly those over 60. Generation Z and millennials report being the loneliest despite their high consumption of social media. After major surgery, Val Walker developed a plan of action for those seeking to heal from the pain and isolation. For 24 years, she's led support groups for people living with chronic illness, grief, and trauma. A blogger for Psychology Today, her first book, The Art of Comforting, was recommended by the Boston Health Commission as a guide for families impacted by the Boston Marathon bombing. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you here. It's great to be here. Thank you. Well, I, you, the title of your book, the whole thing, I mean, the timing of your book, I guess, is really interesting, <laughs> right? What can we say? It's amazing. I had no idea when I was I, writing it last year what would happen. <laughs> it's Okay. And the interesting part is because you're talking about how damaging social social isolation is, and yeah. what did you say, yeah, and you maybe you should start with your, which I don't have to, I guess, repeat the obvious, but we're all right now pretty much social socially isolated and having to cope with it. But your first experience came after you had major surgery. I understand this was your personal experience, right? And, yeah. So tell us what happened. Well, it was still a pretty different world from it is to what it is today back in 2012. Um, but I had major surgery for a hysterectomy, and I had lined up a couple of really close friends to help take care of me, take me home. I didn't have family around, and I had all my plans made. And lo and behold, the day after my surgery, lying right with the IVs wrapped around me, I get a text message, and I found out my friends weren't able to help me. There had been a big family emergency, and they had to run out of state, and I was just left stranded. Um, And it might amaze everyone, but the hospital still discharged me at 3 that afternoon, and I still had no one to pick me up, no one to help me. I made some sort of distress calls, but I felt so ashamed and afraid and humiliated, um, and I just, I was shocked that nobody could help me out, and um, I, I Wait, so they just myself, put you, I want to make, I want I'm trying to picture yeah. this, so you have a hysterectomy, you think your friend or girlfriend's going to pick you up, can't do it because of their own, whatever that's going on in their life, do they put you in the wheelchair and then just park you on the sidewalk and say, okay, goodbye? Is that what they, I mean? They, they parked me in the lobby of the hospital, and I sat there well into the wee hours of the morning. I sat there for a good 11 hours, and I just felt incredibly lonely, ashamed, afraid, humiliated, because I had been a counselor for 25 years. I had been out there helping people who were a lot more isolated than I was, who had very serious mental illnesses, who had been homeless, who had had brain injuries. You know, I, I was 
a counselor, and what am I doing sitting here with no one I could count on? It was the most uh, rude awakening about, I lost, really, suddenly, all my faith in humanity, and I just couldn't believe nobody would help me. I ended up scraping up enough money to pay somebody to take care of me for a day. It was pathetic. (laughs) So I felt a lot of bitterness. Um, I started journaling just to myself. I also got on my own phone and raged, made my own selfie videos and raged. And it was like it took many months, and then I realized I would have to just move out of the Portland, Maine area. I lost uh, a good amount of hours on my job. There was a lot of economic downturn going on. I I lost my job. I realized my friends I couldn't count on. So I decided to move to Boston where the job market was better, and I started my whole life over again. And I said, you know what, I'm going to chronicle this. I'm going to write the book I couldn't find about how to really start over and build yourself a real support network. And you know what? And was you know, it's interesting me. that you moved from <laughs> Portland, Maine, which is a smaller city, to a big city, which people sometimes think, well, those are, you know, it's more difficult to find friends or to connect in a bigger city. But not true. I, or I'm assuming it's not true. This is where you decided well, to turn. Well, I desperately things. needed. I, I desperately needed a much better job. I, I definitely had to improve my finances. So, you know, I, I had to just go where the money. Money talks, <laughs> but my what what was really for me what drove me to have the courage to do anything for myself was that I kept reminding myself, Val, you were a counselor, you were advocating for people and compassionate for people, and I'm gonna have to do this for myself. Be a, be an advocate for myself. Befriend my loneliness. Don't be ashamed of it. Work on building your compassion, and that would turn turn into advocacy. And so I, I wanted to do what I had been doing for my clients for years, getting them connected, speaking on their behalf, making a good case for them. And good advocacy doesn't have anything to do with just um, feeling like you're begging. You know, it's really making a case for yourself, networking really well, getting really strategic about what what connections you need to make. So I started volunteering locally. That helped me get connected when I moved into Boston. And I also started to um, go to support groups because I had a chronic illness with colitis. I realized if I find people who are isolated by the same things I am, I can help build community with that. So volunteering and going to support groups were two of the best ways I started building a network of support. Now, Val, but given the context, and I want to bring it up to sort of up to date to what's happening to all of us now. Today, (laughs) uh, what what you were suggesting is kind of the opposite of what we can do right now because we are forced to be isolated. We should be isolated, physical distancing, not social distancing, but you know, your book talks all about, just as you mentioned, volunteer, do things, you know, connect with people who are like you or who are not like you, but that you, you can get out into the community. So now how do we, what do we do now that we can't get out into the community? We are at home. Um, right. So how do we 
Yeah. So what do we do now? Well, How do we turn that around? This does really yeah. apply. It absolutely does apply because, first of all, there are remote ways to volunteer. We can certainly call our senior centers. We can help with hotlines and support lines. We could possibly do some help with deliveries through a food bank. Uh, there are lots of ways people are mobilizing to help out during this time. And actually, our anxiety and our feelings of helplessness and powerlessness can be really well channeled into service for others. So just keeping that in mind, whether you're helping someone that uh, just with check-in, phone calls, your neighbor down the street, your person who's a senior who you can reach out to, even by phone, by email, by Skype, by Zoom. There are many, many ways to reach out and help people. So that's that's a really useful thing to be doing right now during this time is finding ways to volunteer or just help out. What do you say to people? That's, that's one way. There's, there, there's kind of a digital dis- divide now, which maybe we can talk about that a little, because there are many people who actually want to do that, but they don't know how to, maybe they don't know how to Skype, maybe they don't know how to connect. So first you have to learn how to do that. I mean, I have my uh, boyfriend and my sons who are IT experts, so I'm all set up here, Uh, but not everybody does. Uh, so so let, can we talk about that digital divide and how that may impact how you can connect with other people? Because it can be an issue. Yeah. Well, let me just talk about a couple of senior centers. I'm just going to use some good examples I see very much in action. I live in the greater Boston area, and I actually was teaching at a senior center that had to close its doors. So the staff at the senior centers are taking lots of calls from seniors who don't know how to work with technology very much. The digital divide reflected, especially in seniors over 70. Um, I'm a senior in my mid-60s. I notice a lot of seniors in their 70s, 80s, and 90s do really uh, deal with not being able to feel so connected. So the senior center has been doing a wonderful job of reaching out to them, uh, they do check-in calls. They've even been teaching tutorials on how some seniors who want to can learn how to Skype. They've actually got some really fun little lessons. They created a newsletter to go out to seniors every day, um, and they're finding that uh, they're building community just even with the seniors who are stuck at home. So there's outreach going on, um, and... There are other ways we can help each other learn some of this technology, too, uh, even if we can, helping our friends through emails or through texting. Um, there are simple ways we can give some basic instructions. But the most important thing is reach out any way you can. You can write letters, too, the old-fashioned way. Uh, you can make things your your own ways of showing your love and care for somebody. You can make things with your hands. You can decorate cards. You can make crafts. You might um, make beaded jewelry or nice, thoughtful things you can send to your loved ones so they still feel like they matter. You can share lists of your favorite movies or books or music. Even just sharing lists with people is a wonderful way. You know, oh, I love that movie 
or I love that book, and sharing that when you talk about that shared experience later, you can actually have some wonderful conversations, even just by phone. So those are some of the ways we can reach out and connect. I saw Bon Jovi on television yesterday or the day before, the musician, and he wrote a song and he was being interviewed. And one of the things he said is, which kind of goes along with exactly what you're saying, uh, when you can't do what you do, do what you can. Yes, absolutely. Right? You know, there's a, you know, I really believe that, that old saying, necessity is the mother of invention. You know, if we really, really want to reach out, we will find a way to do it. And people are coming up with so many innovative ways. It's quite heartening right now. But I will say this. I notice more people are having deeper, more heart-to-heart conversations now. Um, I have uh, heard from seniors that I work with, um, even remotely, that they're hearing from their long-lost friends from across the country or even other countries who are reaching out to them right now. Everybody's, um, I I should say, there's a great sense of returning to the wonders of conversation and having good, long, serious, or heart-to-heart conversations. And a lot of people are saying they're returning to that, which is wonderful because a lot of our conversation has been kind of fragmented and distracted. Uh, But right now we have a chance to have conversations again. Yeah, I think you had mentioned this in the book. One of the things we always, we have had, busy lives, people working, kids, jobs, the, always the excuse, well, I don't really have time to call my friend or I don't have time to connect. Well, now you do have time because you're sitting in your house and you can, or where, and you do have time to do those kinds of connections that you're talking about. And I've done that. I've, you know, a couple of friends I hadn't really connected with in a long time, live in California. I've been you know, talk back and forth online with them. Uh, So we do have time to do that now. And we do have time to talk to whomever we're isolated with as well. Uh, You know, many. Yes. So I find that this time of the coronavirus, even because we are so-called social distancing, I actually see real reaching out and connecting going on. People are getting closer in ways that they weren't close before. Yes, you can be very intimate with a good talk on the phone, and hopefully, maybe, if you're lucky, some videos with Skyping or Zoom. I believe that people are returning to a sense of feeling like, almost like you long and you ache to have a connection with somebody. So it's, it's a great opportunity now to reach out. I say call those long-lost aunts or cousins or old friends from high school. Um, You might rediscover a wonderful friendship that that may have passed over you 10 or 20 years ago. It's a wonderful thing to rediscover people right now, and boy, do they appreciate that call or checking in. Um, So I I really encourage that, And, and I also write about that in my book that I had forgotten that there were some long-lost people in my life that I thought we had sort of outgrown, you know, (laughs) and I had shied away from them for one thing or another. And even in my book, the person who didn't show up for me at the hospital, I found out her family was dealing with an opioid crisis, and she was immersed in that. And then later on, she had a stroke. 
So I reached back out to my friend Becky and discovered why she had distanced herself from me. Uh, had, we had been separated for so long, and I thought I had done something wrong. And I discovered, oh my gosh, she was delighted to hear from me. So this is a great opportunity. Go through your closet, maybe. Go through those old Rolodexes and whatnot, your memorabilia, and find lists or old letters or high school yearbooks. And if you have the time and the will, it's a a great way to deal with your anxiety, (laughs) you know, uh, to reach out and just explore and see who's still there. Yeah, I, changing your behavior, and we all have to just, I think that's that's key, that we have opportunities to do things differently and, and sit down and think about how you can do it and, and, and what you can do. I was just going to ask you, because you don't have that much time left, but your book, The Art of Comforting, I mentioned that in the beginning, was recommended by the Boston Health Commission as a guide for families impacted by the Boston Marathon bombing. Anything we can take from that, which would be uh, helpful to us now in this age of oh. the coronavirus? Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for asking. A big, a big message in that book is about listening and bringing your empathy uh, out through your listening um, to really, really be patient and allow that person to find their words. And uh, some people, when you're really distressed, just can't find the words and uh, also might not be able to figure out what to do. So it's wonderful if you're in the comforting role to just follow that person's lead and try not to presume that you know what to tell them to do, giving them advice or saying, oh, I've been, I've been there before, I know what to do. Allow that person to tell you exactly what they feel or what they're thinking without judgment and just acknowledge what they're going through. Yes, this sounds so hard. Um, and then if they want, maybe they will problem solve with you. Well, what do you think I should do, you know? Uh, but try to allow that person, uh, be really patient and listen. A lot of us just need a lot of listening right now. And if, and also I want to say most of us aren't quite working on all of our cylinders. <laughs> you know, we're, we're very preoccupied. Uh, this great coronavirus pandemic actually is causing some people, many of us, most, maybe most, a lot of grief and a lot of anxiety. So being that comforting presence for someone, it can be a real lifesaver. And I actually think it makes us feel better as the comforting role to, to know that you've helped someone just by listening. Yeah. Uh, grief and loss. I mean, we are, you know, worldwide, it's a global grief. Things are huge. Yeah. It's the before and after and the new normal and all of that is sort of, you know, they're liking it to when our, the, you know, 9 11, um, that there is the before it, and accepting the fact that it's not going to ever be the same. It's, it is a new normal. That's right. It is. There's, there's not only all this loss, but there's so much uncertainty. And I think that combination of anxiety and grief, it's its really difficult to handle. If you can be a good friend, good listener, comforting presence, that's great. And also, I highly recommend trying to find a person, anyone that would be a good listener for you. 
Uh, even if it's a person not right in your own family, you know, they may be so caught up in their stuff. Maybe you do need to reach out and find another friend, another person, maybe in the wider community that's a good listener, or even find therapy. There are a lot of therapists now doing teletherapy, um, which is wonderful. You don't have to go in person. And also there's some excellent community health, community mental health lines that you can get through, say, 211, calling 211 in New York City, 311. Um, and you can find a lot of community services that might link you to either support groups or therapists. And there are lots of virtual support groups out there, too, for finding people who are feeling the same feelings you are. Yeah. And that's not, and there are therapists, I have colleagues who are, you know, I'm a social worker and, and a psychologist, as you say, doing online therapy, they're on Skype or the telephone. Uh, and there are also coaches out there who do it too. Yes. Yeah. And a, there right. are a lot of, yeah. And uh, it's, they do it for free. They're like you say, volunteer, right. you can connect to coaches. I mean, you probably just can Google that online and you'll, you'll, you'll be able to find a coach that you want to talk to. I think one other thing, because, you know, uh, you're a counselor, um, people have to remember, we call it in social work, pre-morbid functioning. You know, how you function before all this happened is going to impact on your functioning now. If if when you were stressed, it was very difficult for you, it's going to be more difficult for you than for people who, some people have so much stress and yet they are able to, be more resilient, let's say. So if you're one of those people who's maybe less resilient, do exactly what you say. Get a therapist, get online, get coaching, do what you have to do. Just kind of sit down and sort of assess where you are, if you can, emotionally. Yeah. And it's good to just make a list of people to contact. Number one, contacts that might be supportive for you, especially emotionally supportive. And also make a list of people who might be more isolated and less equipped than you are. So it's good to make it both ways. Give out some support to those who are more isolated, including volunteering or just offering your help. And balancing that with also getting support for yourself. You know, if, if we're really lucky, I have a few friends where we, it can really go both ways. Well, <laughs> we can give that support and get it. And uh, it's a wonderful thing when it goes back and forth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's well said. You know, who the, you know, if you're feeling a certain way, oh, I'm going to call this person. And, you know, because I know that, that, that they're going to make me feel good. Uh, we have about four minutes left. Um, so... There is just one point I wanted to make is why we're, you know, we're talking about how you can help and seek help and get help. I'm finding that I'm a person who likes to give people information and, you know, I'll read an article that I think somebody would like to hear. And I'm finding I have to be careful with that because there are some friends or colleagues who don't want as much information, say, as I do. And that just sending them information, I've noticed that perhaps in the last week. Yeah. I don't know if that's something that that you've encountered or not. But. I think, I think, yeah, I think it's good to just uh, not just make assumptions that everybody wants that information. I would certainly go with people who've eagerly shared information with you. Clearly, that's a good person to give them some information. But a lot of people just want a different kind of support right now. And I, again, just keep saying, touch base, reach out, see what they need follow their lead? Uh, What are the things that are making you feel better? 
Um, yep. find Two out. minutes left, so and I want to just yeah. a website that we can go to and uh, uh, sure. Val Walker, 400 well, Friends, No One to Call. We need a website so that we can just hook into you. Thank you so much. My website is valwalkerauthor.com. And uh, fortunately, I've had some articles coming out recently with AARP, and I've had some an, a great opportunity to blog about this on Psychology Today. And so I just wanted to let people know this is a wonderful time to be, if you guys do want to volunteer out there, certainly guest blogging is good <laughs> for some of you who want to write or share stories uh creative acts of any kind. So I just wanted to say any listeners, there's some wonderful websites to share your thoughts and stories right. and support and tips and resources. <laughs> well, Val, thanks so much for being on the show today. Author and rehabilitation consultant and uh, author of 400 Friends, um, No One to Call. It's great talking to you. Lots of good information. And as I say to everyone oh, now, <laughs> stay healthy and uh, Safe and sane. I enjoyed it, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Thank you. Goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 